This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. And it all takes place while you're filling out financial reports at work, in the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen, call in sick, do whatever you got to do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time. Let me bring in the rest of the team that will be alongside for this adventure as we break down Texas barely winning, escaping U of H with a 31-24 win. And what does life in the interim look like without Quinn Ewers for the Longhorns? We'll get into all of that. And here's who will be discussing it with me as always. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Not too shabby. Can't complain. And the third member of our team, he wears many hats. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL when he was done with the football. He got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you... You get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts. Mr. Rod Babers. I appreciate the intro as always, brother. Great intro. Um, and uh, honestly, I'm excited about this show. We got a lot to get into, man. I don't even know if we got no time. It's going to be an extra long one. Yeah, we do. Uh, I Not only did I not get Frenchies on my way to Houston, but now... Oh. Uh, yeah, it was a close. It was a a frustratingly close game. No Frenchies and Quinn Ewers is out for a couple weeks, so it's yeah. just if there's such thing as a bad win, <laughs> that was it. On that was an ugly win, man. The Coyote ugly win. Yeah. yeah, the L for you for not getting the Frenchies. Yeah, that's that's a dang that's a dang coaching mistake on my part. But uh, hey, before we get rolling though, just want to remind anybody if you're interested in advertising on Longhorn Blitz, becoming a sponsor here on the show, LonghornBlitzPod at gmail.com. I've had actually a few people reach out already, so thank you to those who've reached out. LonghornBlitzPod at gmail.com is the way to get hooked up with that, and you can get Longhorn Blitz anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns twenty four seven. That's Horns two four seven. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button when the feed comes up. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Wednesday mornings now. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it if you did that. All right. So, Rod, as you said, there's a lot to unpack. I actually, because I think a lot of the BYU talk will be related to the offense. So I want to start with the defense. And I said this all week last week. I didn't think we talked about it on the show. Dana Holgerson's the kind of coach that, Man, if you shut down his running game, 
he really doesn't care because doesn't need to run the ball effectively uh, to to be able to make the rest of his offense work. So Texas shut down U of H's running game. What were they? 19 carries for 12 yards. I forget what it is. U of H, their run game was null and void. But Rod, I feel like we we identified the issues that were giving this Texas secondary problems, you know, whether it's bunch formations or, or, or whatever the case was. Man, this was just the middle of the field felt like it was wide open all day. And it, it just seemed like you compound a competent offense with a quarterback who was feeling it with a secondary that was a mash unit by the end of that game. Uh, there was a lot that went wrong for Texas and a lot that went right for U of H, especially once they kind of figured out some things where they could attack Texas. Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, you're, you're, you're on the money. It, it, the Texas secondary, and we'll, we'll talk about it because I think it's multi-factorial, everything that's going on. Uh, but Donovan Smith, I mean, think about it. This is a guy that's played in that air raid offense since he's got to college, so he's really comfortable. So it's the second week in a row you faced second game in a row. I guess you're at the bye week, second, which is even worse, by the way, because <laughs> you had a week to fix and work on things. Uh, but second game in a row, you're facing a pass-first offense, with a quarterback that can beat you running the football, by the way, that was not part of their game plan, really. They didn't want to weaponize Donovan Smith. Mm-hmm. They just let him work from the pocket and trusted him. Um, but you also have a a team that has a quarterback, though, who's basically really comfortable and familiar with the system that he's in, probably more so than any other uh, quarterbacks you've played. And I, and I talked about this earlier, and I said this on one of the other Blitz shows. I've taken out the – the games where Texas plays backup quarterbacks out of my sample is mm-hmm. distorting my research. Mm-hmm. I don't even consider it guys. And when you look at Texas now, just in the rice game, the Texas defense in the rice game, the Bama game, and you look at it in the Oklahoma game and U of H game versus quarterback quarterbacks who are starting quarterbacks, not backups. It looks like a very different defense. And you start to see a lot of different trends develop. And that's basically what I've done. I've kind of thrown out the Baylor game, thrown out the Wyoming game, even thrown out the Kansas game. And that's when I started talking about the bunch formation stuff. Right? They, they struggle when teams are targeting bunch formations. And we'll get into that coming up here in just a second. But the, the U of H game plan was brilliant because they did something kind of from – that struck, Texas struggled with last season that they hadn't struggled with so far this season, but it reared its ugly head again the in-breaking routes. Remember how Adam mm-hmm. and I needs to play better inside leverage? Man, U of H killed Texas on inside-breaking routes. What are you talking about? Uh, overs, unders, you know, drag routes, uh, shallow crossers, post routes, skinny post routes, slant, six routes. I mean, they just went in, literally. Uh, I counted 16 in-breaking routes, uh, close to 69% completion rate over 13 yards per attempt. I mean, they just, that's where Texas was vulnerable. And Texas gave them a lot of the inside breaking routes. And it hadn't, it hadn't been an issue this season. I remember guys last season, I was keeping up with it. And on in breaking routes, all kinds, Texas was susceptible to in breaking routes last year. They just did not respect or ex- execute inside leverage on man or zone concepts. 
uh, on slants last year, they were allowing first down touchdown rate of four over 40%. Uh, on post routes last year, uh, they were allowing over 11 yards per target on the post routes, glance routes, really susceptible to 75% completion percentage, uh, angle routes, in routes. I mean, you name it, Texas. Remember that Oklahoma State game? They just ran a whole offensive game plan off slant routes alone. So, I it to me it was they did their they did their homework. Nobody had attacked Texas running in breaking routes like that, and mostly because I thought Texas had done a better job of being inside leverage, especially when they're playing man coverage or bump and run. But not this time, guys. They really attacked all the inside breaking routes, and Texas that they just did not respond by taking that away even late in the game. Yeah, and it was something that you could see, like, they were almost, like, making a conscious effort to go, like, even not every single time would they go with, like, something four wide, but there were some times with those double slots that it was like, okay, we'll stay away from Jade Barron, and we're just going to target a week's part of this defense, and like you said, right over the middle of the field every single time, we're able to find little, just the areas you're passing them off between a zone, or just be able to find a guy that's going to be breaking, and it, it was something that you do you would see it with Mike Leach all the time. If it's there, Holgerson will go to it over and over and over and over again. Because why not? Why wouldn't would you go away from something that isn't working? And that's where, like, sometimes Texas isn't going to be facing a team with air raid principles or with OCs that are going to be doing that. Now, I would, if I was an opposing OC, I would do something over and over and over again until they forced you to stop it. But at times we've seen teams not attack Texas that way. So it'll be interesting to see going forward now that the tape's out there. Like you said, the tape was there last year. If these coordinators that Texas face that aren't in, say, these air raid systems are going to be content with deviating from what they do to do something that makes vulnerabilities be exposed. Yeah, Rod, to your point, it just felt really familiar. And it wasn't, there were times where I'd look up, man, and it wasn't even like it was bunch formations. They were in, you know, two by twos or, or two by ones and, you know, just, just passing guys off. And, and there, you know, part of the, part of the issue for me is it's not so much the Texas corners are struggling and I'm not displacing blame because there's plenty of blame to go around. No, you're right. Secondary. But the the problem I had was, man, there there are times where there were two times um, with with Keaton Crawford specifically, and it's going to sound like I'm picking on him, but these were the two that stood out. They threw a slant. This both uh, one was in the second quarter, one was in the third quarter. In the second quarter, it was they had thrown a, or maybe it was the third quarter, they had thrown a slant to Manjack. I think it was on a second down, and mm-hmm. you could tell that based on the way he's supposed to read it, you could tell, okay, the guy's crossing your face. You've got that receiver. And he just kind of flat foot read it and kept his eyes on the quarterback and just let the guy run by him. And then he's trying to catch up. He's trying to recover. I'm like, that just, I don't know where his eyes are. And the other one was uh, the, 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 the long pass that man Jack caught that they thought oh. was a touchdown. And then they brought back, he flat yeah. foot read it and saw man Jack go vertical, but he like, it's like, he never reacted. He yeah. just stood there. And I'm like, I don't know if, if if he's processing too much or if he's reading the wrong thing. And, and I'm not picking on Keaton Crawford because every there were times where multiple guys did that. But to me, Rod, those were the two two most egregious times where where I saw stuff like that happening. Yeah, no, you're right about that. I mean, he's just he he's got the athletic instincts to play safety, and he's got the effort. There's no doubt about that. You can see it on special teams, uh, but. 
he does it, it's weird he doesn't on the understand naturally kind of the natural rules of man coverage like he yeah. doesn't cut yeah. off receivers like you said he lets the receiver cross his face and it's like no no go cut him off go take the upfield shoulder and go cut the receiver off instead of trying to cover him from a trail position uh you know what i mean like it's yeah. and it's weird it's like they they don't understand the angles as, as to where the receiver is going um and i'm with you i think he struggled with that i and I, and I, you know, and it's one thing that can say, this U of H, the coaches, they they looked at last year's film a lot. You can tell about the Texas defense, just kind of looking at where they were vulnerable. Because one thing, and also they did a really good job of, that teams have not really uh, executed well versus Texas this year. And I, I'm surprised they hadn't broken it out. It's empty formation. Yeah. And I kept saying that teams are going to, I thought Bama was going to do a lot of it. Bama did not. Um, they love. They broke out a lot of empty formation. I want to say they probably had 14 snaps out of empty formation. Now they did have a sack, uh, but man, they had a lot of big plays out of empty, and they kept spreading it out because they knew the Texas defense would be preoccupied, which they were. They were defending ghosts. They were preoccupied with Donovan Smith in the quarterback run game, and I know why. I'm not even upset with Texas for being a, a little preoccupied and obsessed with the quarterback run game. They were coming off the Dylan Gabriel. Uh, performance and Donovan Smith can run. He did hurt Texas as a runner when he beat him uh, as the starting quarterback versus Tech. So you can tell there are times where the reason that Jalen Ford and uh, Anthony Hill and those guys don't drop back into their respective zones quick enough in the passing game is because they're so preoccupied with looking at Donovan Smith as a runner. And he wasn't. I mean, he, he passed for the second most yards against a PK defense since PK has been at Texas. Um, so he was throwing it from the pocket and he was comfortable because they were using concepts like empty. They were using a lot of in-breaking routes and, like I said, targets to bunch formation. Anytime they target, targeted a, cl- a closely clustered group of receivers, I mean, they were averaging over 11 yards per attempt. Um, I mean, that they were really – in those Crazy. situations, they were really comfortable. That's, to me, I think that's a big part of, you know, Texas has to figure that out because – that has been, like I said, when I take away the backup quarterbacks, just looking at starting quarterbacks, that's been something I've been tracking all year long. And when Texas has, and you can call it bunch formation, that's what I usually do, but any closely clustered group of receivers, and we're talking about it could be stacked twins, it could be, um, you know, receivers that are, say, side by side, say, really close side by side, maybe they're stagnant, whatever it is, uh, or stagnated, whatever it is. Um, but Anytime Texas has to pass off receivers in 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 coverage, whether that be a match coverage or whether that's true zone coverage, or that's them tangoing, playing inside out, or playing levels uh, with closely clustered groups of receivers, bunch, stack, twins, trips, quads, whatever, do teams are uh, averaging yards per attempt of clo- over fifteen yards per attempt, completion percentage yeah. over eighty percent. If you're looking at just the starting quarterbacks. All right. We're talking about first down rates and touchdown rates and explosive play rates of 50 percent or higher. They got to figure that out and figure it out quickly. It is an easy cheat code against the Texas defense. So, yep. And that was the case last season, too. Um, I mean, it's something they just haven't really figured out. Yep. And I pulled the numbers. So. This isn't picking on this is just the data from the game. So everybody has it. Now, when it was Jaron Thompson, Keaton Crawford and Taff were targeted 13 times, 12 were receptions for 100 yards. The linebackers also middle of the field, Ford, Benda, Blackwell, LaFau, 
six targets, six receptions, 106 yards. If you want to add uh, Williams, also a safety in there, he was four for two for 20. So if you add him into the safety numbers, that's 17 targets, 14 receptions for 195 yards. If you look at the corners, so I got our corners and then the slot corner being Barron and then at times Gilbo, 18 targets, only nine receptions for 63 yards. That's seven per attempt. I mean, it's a funnel. I know that from daily fantasy, you look for funnels all the time. Some teams funnel to the pass, some funnel to the run. Some team are slot and tight end funnels because you're you're you have so good on the outside that because they're so strong, they actually hurt the interior part of your defense because the offense doesn't even attempt to throw at them. You know, in the day you'd hear stuff like Revis Island or things like that, but you can just have good, strong outside receiver D- DBs and it makes the middle of the field become something like, why do we even want to mess with it? And right now with Texas, when you combine all that together, when you look at the safeties and the linebackers, that's 23 targets for 20 receptions, for uh is that 301 yards and then to the corners it's in slot guys it's 18 for nine for 63 it's just i mean it's night and day you can't find more of a funnel defense when you look at the when, how to do we attack during the passing game yep yeah it's rod what is the fix uh that that's like we've we, we've identified the problem uh i mean i, I know the secondary is banged up and i know Part of me wonders what was the staff and, and look, I'm, I, I kind of got, I had somebody remind me, uh, cause I'll, I'll be honest guys in the heat of the moment when I was writing content from the press box on Saturday, like I was just, I was just disgusted with the product I'd watch. Right. Cause you're up 21, nothing. It's a chance to make a statement and you end up in a dog fight with a team that quite frankly, you look at them on paper, you look at them on a hoof that U of H team is not a good team. It's not a good football team. And you're in a dogfight with them in the fourth quarter. Granted, they got some nice pieces, but overall, it's not a good football team. And I was just frustrated. And somebody reminded me, Jeff, you're usually a glass half full kind of guy. And I am uh, more often than not. So now that I think about it, I'm like, okay, there's part of me says, okay, yeah, there are some issues here with the secondary. But going forward, and again, Rod, this is one of my crackpot theories. And I either need you to take the ride with me or shoot it down. Did the staff take the U of H game to rotate so much at safety, thinking, okay, we want to come out of this game, knowing when they're not knowing when they're going to get Jalen Catalan back, but we want to come out of this game knowing, hey, who are the probably top two or three guys we can really depend on? And maybe against BYU, we see that rotation shrink a little bit. Mm, no, I need to go look at the Alabama game and the Oklahoma game, the two biggest games of the year. And see what the safety rotations are there. And I know you have to, because Jalen Catlin started that Oklahoma game, and it seemed like to me he was going to end up playing the majority of the snaps in that game, right? Yeah. It seems like that, that that he was on track for that before the injury. Um, I think they do have a plan. They won't let us in on it. They say that Jalen Catlin wasn't on a snap count man, or a pitch count, and I think we all agree <laughs> that he probably was to some extent, but that's okay. I mean, that's what the coaches, I mean, they got to play their mind games, and, and we try to figure things out. Um, but I'm with you. I, I think a big part of the issues in the secondary, if you just want to try to try to throw at least one factor out there that could be encompassing, um, that it, it involves 
and has tentacles that touch all of the issues that we're talking about the secondary, the, the two minute defense, the, you know, the def, the their technique against, you know, defending bunch formations or closely clustered groups of receivers. They're um, the, the issues now with drag routes in, in coverage and having how the back seven uh, figures out how to defend that better. I think it's, it's communication is their biggest issue. It's yeah. just communication, right? They don't, they, they, because yep. remember that the touchdown, that Matthew Golden gets a post route. Um, I believe it's the first touchdown. Matthew Golden, uh, they're, they're a cover three. Uh, I believe it's match cover three. Um, so you got three deep dropping. Terrence Brooks is deep dropping. Taft is in there. He's the deep safety there. I forget who's the deep safety on the other side. Um, but then at, so at the time, they run a post route. They run basically a, a, a post seven combo. Seven route is like a, 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 a deep uh, like a deep corner route basically mm-hmm. it's, a deep, it's probably at 16 maybe 17 yards he ran that deep corner route so number two runs the deep corner route number one that what called the touchdown ran the post route um, Michael Taft Taft is back there Taft Daddy is back there um, and you can tell he's he's he doesn't expect that the post route is going to come to him without a defender. He thought that Terrence Brooks was going to carry that post route. Terrence Brooks didn't carry the post route. Terrence Brooks took the deep, uh, the deep uh, out route, sorry, the, uh, the deep corner route. Mm-hmm. And nothing wrong with that, by the way, if that's your rules in coverage. I don't know what the rules in coverage are. Right. Rules in coverage literally are, for, for me it was, when I was playing, once the route declares itself, and and the DBs and I would discuss. All right, dog. So when when is this route gonna declare itself? You think y'all thinking twelve to fifteen yard, fifteen yards? Can I go fifteen yards? Once he goes fifteen yards, he's mine. All right. Or once he goes, and maybe for them it's something else. Maybe for them it's twenty yards, and maybe they don't even have that declaration. I remember having to break that down. Like, nah, man, I don't like how vague this is. I need to know exactly what yardage I can. I'll, I'll pass this guy off in coverage, and what yardage he's and what and what yardage exactly. He's my receiver, and I'm gonna take mm-hmm. a man to man. I'll match him. Um, I don't know if they made it. They haven't determined that because Terrence Brooks let him go, he let the post route go, as if Taft Daddy got him because he's in the deep third. He's running right to him, and Taft Daddy turned around, clapping, upset, as if he expected Terrence Brooks to carry that post route. Right. So that's an example of the, the miscommunication they're having in the secondary. They got others. The linebackers also involved in this in the back seven. So the back sevens having communication issues. This is why they suck. I repeat, suck at two-minute defense, right? They're bad at it. They're bad in a crisis because two-minute defense is a crisis situation. You're just replicating a crisis to put the defense in a crisis mode, see how they respond. This defense does not respond well. They don't communicate well. They, they bust coverages. They have gap integrity breakdowns, and they miss a lot of tackles and give up a lot of explosive plays. We'll talk about that later in two-minute drill. They had another one that gave up versus U of H, the seven points right before the half. So that's to me. It all comes down to they communicate better, and they're all on the same page. I and they're all seeing the same thing. They're hive-minded. I think the, the back seven would defend some of these route concepts better because they're pretty simple route concepts. They're not very complicated route concepts, but they're all playing a different defense, <laughs> and they all have different technique, and they all are seeing different things. That yeah, everybody in the, in the back seven pretty much is on a different page. Like nobody's playing the same style of defense. So that's why. And so to me, it's about communication. And that's why they're bad at, at passing off routes in coverage and passing off receivers in bunch formations. They're bad at two-minute defense. 
and they're bad overall playing zone in the back seven, passing off in breaking routes because none of these guys are communicating or they're not doing it very well. Yeah, I, part of the part of the issue that I saw, Rod, or, or not not part of the issue that I saw, but where I kind of disagree with with Gen Pop and, and some other folks, uh, and it's not just people out in the general public; it's uh, you know some of my my colleagues in the media is the answer seems to be, well, why don't you just play tighter coverage? Why are you playing way off? Well, it's not a matter of playing off or playing up. I mean, you can play man without having to press people. It's a matter of, do you understand your rules? Because we've talked about it time and again, but I think it's worth repeating, right? Texas is a predominantly quarters coverage team. And if you're playing quarters at some point, that cover four zone look is going to deteriorate into where it's man-to-man coverage. So uh, unless you're just in true press man, nobody's going to be up on, on the line of scrimmage. And, and and but but press get a guy getting a clean release or not, that on that only solves just part of the problem. That's like going back to kind of our overarching topic of what we finally figured out was the issue with Texas post Colt McCoy, which was player development. Okay, that doesn't tell me a whole lot because there's a whole lot of tentacles out there, right? You're bad. You're bad in these situations, Rob, that you just laid out. Okay, yeah, you could play more press coverage and play tighter, but that doesn't that doesn't help the overall thing we're trying to get resolved here, which is you are terrible in these situations as a whole, and one little adjustment's not going to fix it. Yeah, and you don't have you don't have you can't just play man because you don't have the dogs to do it. I hate to tell you that because your right. safeties can't play man. You right. got one safety that can cover, and that's Derek Williams. All right, that's it. And the rest of your safeties, I hate to tell you, I like them in, for different ways, whether it be Keaton Crawford or whether you're talking about Taft Daddy or even Jerry Thompson, the elder statesman. But they all are very vulnerable, all right, in coverage, extremely vulnerable in coverage. Yeah. In fact, teams are just straight up targeting your safeties now. <laughs> um, so yep. the fix that I would throw out there is, you know, Jade Barron is a very versatile player now. He was dealing with an, an injury, and they had to put him in in the second half in that game. Um, and he's a big part of why they won the game. They may not win the game without Jaday Barron coming in in the second half. Right. He's played corner for you when you need him to. He can play nickel, which means if you can do both of those, you probably can play safety. Yeah, I would situationally, predictable passing situations or situations where you're emphasizing pass coverage, I'd put him at safety, especially when you get Ryan Watts back at one corner. You trust him. And then depending and, and matches laid out, the, the corners are playing pretty well. So you got Terrence Brooks and Malik Muhammad. It's possible if you don't like what Jalen Gilbo's giving you at, at star nickel. If you don't like that, I, you know, I, it may be sufficient. They're playing them. If you like it, then great. Then Jade Barron situationally, situationally, I repeat, don't be hitting me up on Twitter. Situationally, I'm talking about here. All right. When you emphasize pass coverage, you can put him at safety and you have Derek Williams at the other safety. And that way you're not a total uh, liability in coverage at that position. And then you'd have either Jalen Gilbo or put Malik Muhammad at one corner, Ryan Watson, they're going to move Terrence Brooks to, to, court, to nickel. And you could have him at nickel if you trust him at nickel more than you do Gilbo. Yeah. So a big point is, is these guys getting healthy. They get healthy. I think you could experiment. And I'd put Jay Barron at safety sometimes. Hell, maybe even matchup-wise some games, depending on how much they like to target safeties or if they're targeting the safeties. If they're just eating the safeties alive, put your day bearing at safety. And, you know, put him at Derrick Williams at safety, and you can kind of nullify that game plan or that specific vulnerability 
um, you can you can remedy that. And that's one of the ways that I would do it, depending on how healthy you are in the secondary. But all this is contingent on them getting a little bit healthier. Go ahead, Matt. Yep. And what it, what you're saying right there, Rod, it fits perfectly, say, for a week like this. Now, we don't know how healthy Jade Barron will be when you're facing a team like BYU that is a lot more of heavier packages and run many uh, three wide or even empty sets and things along those lines. Like when you're playing against an air raid, you need as many bodies as you can get out there. And I mean, almost no teams in college have four guys that can man up. That's just like if you're at saying Texas, oh yeah, go out there and man up against four guys. Like nobody has the personnel to be able to do that. So that's just not paying attention to what's actually happening on on the it's not a real realistic possibility. But whenever you're going up against a team like BYU that are going to at times have multiple running backs on the field or multiple tight ends on the field and only going to have two wide receivers out there, you can actually move again, not worry about having to have a slot corner or say two slot corners and be able to go and move them back out to safety. It would be something huge for this week because Barron is a perfect fit along those lines. And when you look at the rest of the team for Texas, just in that past game, it was like when you look at them in zone coverage, some of the guys that struggle the most were the ones being forced onto the field. And in those situations, it's just, I think it was a deployed game plan by a guy that's familiar with the team and how to attack, you know, in college football. It's just, there are a few hacks and some of them are, let's go after the slot guys. Let's try to get as many people out there and find, make sure our quarterback knows where the vulnerabilities are and don't be afraid to hit it over and over. I mean, if there's a week where you're going to experiment, it might as well be against BYU because, Look, we'll talk about the Texas offense in a minute. We we said they probably weren't going to face a worse defense than Houston, and we saw what happened. But you look at BYU's offense, man, 103rd in the country in passing success rate, 133rd in rushing success rate. Uh, I'll be honest, man, I didn't even know there were that many teams in FBS now, 133. So that's got <laughs> to put them last. Hey, Sam right, Houston man? State. That's got to put yep, them last, Dead last, because right? Sam Houston State. Yep, okay. that's spot on. Um. So, yeah, th this is not a very good offensive team that you're facing. Uh, and, and, you know, they they forced five turnovers against Texas Tech, and they only turned that into 27 points. So BYU struggles to move the football. Um, you should be able to experiment. You know, Rod, it's just a shame because uh, I, don't, I, didn't, I don't have any real issues with the defensive front. I mean, I know sometimes on the edges you can be vulnerable to runs, but – you know, Ethan Burke has been playing banged up, and and now maybe we do see just the answer there is, hey, you know, uh, a sixty percent Ethan Burke probably wasn't as good holding up against the run as a hundred percent Justice Finkley or a hundred percent of Jamon Tap. So we'll we'll probably see that change against BYU. But man, I got no issues with the defensive front. And, and going back to what you said earlier, Rod, and this is where Texas should have adjusted. Dana Holgerson even said after the game because he was asked about quarterback sneak on the fourth and one. He said. Texas has the best defensive tackles in the country. He said, I'm not going to run Donovan Smith up in there on a quarterback sneak against the best defensive tackles in the country. I'm just not going to do it. Uh, so it was pretty clear that Dana Holgerson was not going to follow the same plan that Joey McGuire went with last year with Donovan Smith in Lubbock. Uh, I, I don't know. I just felt like going back to something you mentioned too, I just felt like they just gave Donovan Smith's legs too much respect. Yeah. No, I think we all did. I did too. I'm not gonna lie. 
I did too. I, I, I thought they would copy more of that game plan from Oklahoma, but I don't think with Texas, I don't think Texas forced them to do it. Right. Right. I think once, and this is weird because he, he's streaky, man. He started slow. And I, I, I said he was on his best three game stretch of his career going into this Texas game. The best three games of his career he had um, prior to Texas. He had nine touchdowns, zero interceptions in those three games. He was completing um, damn near 75% of his passes in those three games. I mean, he was hot. And he started slow, but they weren't attacking the Texas secondary. It was weird, right? They were trying to, like, run the football. I have no idea what the hell they were doing for their first <laughs> game play. But they didn't start attacking the Texas secondary kind of down, like, on the edges um, until, like, that probably midway through the second quarter. Um, before that, they were picking their spots. And Dominic Smith was off, too. I would say that if he's off, then that offense has no chance. And he wasn't off because of Texas. He was just off. He just hadn't found his rhythm. Yeah. Found his rhythm. Texas couldn't get him out of rhythm. And I think that PK blitzed a little bit more than he did. Uh, maybe I'm just off in the eye test. I thought he blitzed a little bit more than I thought um, he would. And Texas, had, matter of fact, the two turnovers they had in the second half were all on blitz, blitz calls. The mm-hmm. Jalen Ford forced fumble, that was him coming in as a blitzer. Um, the Taft interception was a blitz, sped up the internal clock of Donovan Smith, and he made a bad decision. So I know they gave up some plays when they were blitzing, but guys, they gave up plays with a three-man rush. They gave up big plays with a four-man rush. Yeah, They gave up big plays with a blitz. They gave up big plays in a passing game no matter what they did. So PK was just trying to throw ish at the wall and seeing if it stuck, and he was rolling the dice, and it paid off for him twice when he got those turnovers. And you could argue you know, that between that and then putting Jade Barron back in the game, those were the three decisions that kind of won you the game was decide, you know what, I'm going to roll the dice. We're getting beat anyway. Hell with it. We're going we're gonna to blitz. And, yeah, we got beat, but we also forced some turnovers. That that might have won. That might have been just enough to win you the game defensively. You know, right? you always say coaches are problem solvers. In this game, PK was a problem solver, kind of like uh, like my wife and I solve problems very differently. Uh, I will take time to think about things to make sure I've got the right answer or potentially the right answer. Yeah. My wife, my wife treats problem solving like PK did. I'm just gonna, hey, I'm just gonna keep throwing stuff, and if something sticks, then <laughs> then we'll go with that. But you know, for real, when in, in a cri- in a in a crisis situation, like let's go, let's go, let's go, do it. Let's, let's figure out something that works. And uh, like my like my wife in a crisis situation, PK figured out that uh, a a little a little bit, a little bit of blitz, a little bit of blitz will help. Um, all right, we we got to talk about the end of the first half. I've put this off long enough, and this is, man, you guys know, starting the time we've been doing this podcast, starting with Brian Harson saying he couldn't get the ball to Marquise Gooden because it wasn't on the right hash mark, there are just some coaching decisions that are indefensible and really just make me want to drink bleach. And, and this was one of them. Hmm. Um, at that point in the game, talking about the fake field goal, you're lining up for a 44-yard field goal, well within Burt Auburn's range. Okay, you're also coming down to the last inside two and a half minutes of the half. So to me, I'm thinking I want to create a situation where we don't have to deal with a sudden change, right? I want to try to get points, put some pressure on the opponent. Why, in the name of all that is holy, Sark decided to roll with a fake field goal? I don't know. I know he tried to explain it on Monday and the press conference says, Hey, we scouted it. We thought it would work and it didn't. Um, 
I know sometimes some of those things, Rod, can be damned if you do, damned if you don't, but why he rubber stamped that in that situation is stupefying to me. No, I just think at that time, Sark probably thought, you know, if I thought the game was well in hand, I mean, honestly, that's the only thing I can think of. He thought, and I know he was thinking like a coordinator, basically, where he wanted to score touchdowns. Yes. And he thought, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, but and I don't listen. I don't mind him going for it if he just wanted to. I think it was like fourth and six or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a bad yeah. That was play. my instinct. Yeah, it was a bad play design though. I mean, your your kicker is not gonna be able to make multiple defenders miss and get that. I, I think their assumption was that U of H would go all in to block it, and U of H didn't. Um, and I don't know. I think for. For Sark, he he struggles a little bit with the complimentary football term he throws out there a lot. He 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 likes to say it because it sounds cool, but he's not actually thinking about complimentary football. Because if he if he was, he would number one kick the field goal, take the points, um, and he would realize the momentum that he just gave the other team. Go watch the sideline for U of H. There oh yeah, got from it. The crowd then once again got into it. And unless, I don't, I mean, I'm sure Sark knows this, but he can just listen to the blitz or listen to me at any time. I've been talking about the two minute defense of Texas for a while, for at least two, three weeks now. Mm -hmm. And it's bad. And you just put your really bad two minute defense, which has a lot of injuries, by the way. (laughs) It's a mass unit at that point. You put your two minute defense, which is already bad with starters. But now with backups, a mass unit, you put them in a worse situation against a pass-first offense with a quarterback really comfortable in his system, and you always champion complimentary football. But that's, you know, I know that's a lot to think about, but that is your job as a coach. That's not, that's not complimentary football. Complimentary football will be thinking, my defense actually is really hurt. My defense is really bad in two minutes. I'm going to give them back the football with two and a half minutes left if we don't get this. Um, also, you know, my kicker, can he uh, on a six, can he get six yards and make multiple defenders miss? <laughs> He's not probably the right guy for that. Um, also, I'm going to give a lot of momentum to the opposing team if I don't make this. He's never thinking, and maybe he just never thinks about the worst case scenario. But as a coach, that is part of your job to think about the worst case scenario and the, the, the complimentary football aspect of that. And I think at times, Coach Steven, who's a coordinator and not a head coach, like Sark, starts, you know, takes over and Coach Steven's thinking, I'm getting a touchdown here because I want to run up the score and blow him out and get into my bag of tricks and show everybody how creative and fun it is to watch Texas football. And then, you know, instead of being like Coach Sark, which is take the points, kick off, and let's, you know, try to get our defense the best possible chance to play two-minute defense, which they're bad at, without giving the other opposing team a lot of momentum. So that's a lot to think about, but that's why you're paid a lot of money. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, I'm running with you, Rod. Like, that's if, if, you wanna, if you wanted to go for it there, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I, for me, I would have taken the points and trusted my kicker can make a 44-yard field goal. Then keep the offense on the field because I'm sure you've got a better call on fourth and six than Burt Auburn trying to outrun the Houston defense. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure there's something better on that call sheet. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're spot on with that, Jeff, because my instinct at the time was, well, why don't we just go for it? You're in striking range. We have been able to move the ball just with explosive passes all first half, so it didn't make much sense. Once I heard Sark explain it, now I haven't watched every Houston field goal, but he says that that guy's rushed every time and on on film it was going to work, so at least there was some strategery maybe behind it, but yeah, like Rod said, you aren't being very self-aware with your situation, and especially not to mention of the game and the momentum, but just like your vulnerability, like Rod laid out there, well, let's go and look exactly at what two-minute defense is. Well, when you get into two-minute defense, what are you doing? You're sort of sitting back in zone. You aren't letting anything beat you over the top and you might be allowing some stuff underneath and we already talked about it going into last week man jack who was obviously like the best wide receiver for them on the field he can beat you in man and zone but their other guys really can't they're only good against zone i mean brown goes from being 1.17 yards per route run against man to almost triple that to 3.38 which is like elite level like almost to the you know NFL terms, that's Tyreek Hill type numbers that you're putting up whenever it's brown in zone. So you're talking about a way that it actually it, it amplifies the strength of your opponent, what they can do in their passing game, what they're already doing against you, and what your weakness is. And all of those things don't align not only with, say, the complementary or what your strength would maybe be on a six yards to go situation, but then it actually plays into their strength and your weakness. And then like going into halftime, it was like they were, they won the game. That, that team was jacked up. The whole crowd was going totally nuts. And it was really quick like that, the way it flipped, it was like, Oh wow. Texas is going to blow this team out to the end of the second quarter. It's like, Oh wow, Houston, we got a hell of a dog fight. It flipped that quick. Yeah, I even wrote in my post game column. I said, "Look, I I don't like putting the, the any game flipping on just one play, but I'm putting this game flipping on just one play because the fake field goal was that important." Rod, you talk about Sark just likes the term complimentary football. And look, we're complimentary of Sark when when it's when it's warranted. But all I could think of was my wife had a boss one time that he was in the process of getting his doctorate, and he would send emails that would use you know big words. And yeah. I, I would read it, and I'm like, this word, this word, and this word, they're not used in the right context. Man, Sark, mm-hmm. Sark with complimentary mm-hmm. football, it's like he's the guy that, that just learned the new word in the dictionary and can't wait to use it in an email but doesn't really know how to use it because in two-minute situations, man, he takes the idea of complimentary football and more often than not just fires it straight into the sun. Exactly. Yep, no doubt. Totally agree with that. Yeah, that's, that's and his right. nature is offense. Like you can see what he's rooted in, and it comes into scoring touchdowns, baby. And he still, it sometimes goes straight back to him as a quarterback and wanting to put up big numbers. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I, I have no problem with him wanting to go for it. I get it, killer instincts. But then I'm with Jeff. Just keep the offense on the field, man. It was like fourth and six. Yeah, if it was, agreed. If it was fourth and like two or fourth and three. I was like, I get it then, but. More than six, man. That's a whole different story. You might as well keep your best personnel to gain six yards out there and not try to deceive the opposing team. But he admitted it was a dumb call. So I like about something yeah. said, bad call, bad call. He admitted it after the game. So I get it. You know That's... what I mean? He, he, and you know what? I'll say this for, for Sark and, and that call. Um, man, he does have – he's got some scones. Like he just he, – he really does. Like he, And I think he likes to throw stuff out there just to – 
to really freak out opposing teams. So they're they think Sark is really unpredictable at any time. He could do a trick play, do any you know, he could call some crazy exotic at any time. I think he wants that out there, but there's sometimes doing it like that, you hurt your team. Remember, he's got ran a double reverse pass in like the red zone in the battle. He does sometimes it's weird. I'm like, man, that was a wild play call, but sometimes Sark that's just he's in his bag. You remember uh, the the Baylor game his first year, Rod, when when he ran the fake punt with Cameron Dicker for oh, no man. for no reason. Yeah, but hey, like, what? <laughs> but I give but I give him credit. He's run a fake punt since then, and it hasn't been the punter that's been running it. It's been the up back or somebody else. So, oh yeah, Whittington in the OU game that was a momentum flipper. I right. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if we ever see Texas run a fake field goal again. It ain't gonna be Bird Auburn trying to get the corner on a linebacker. It'll be it'll be, it'll be wise. It'll be <laughs> but so let's transition this to the offense. And you know, if you take the offense's first four drives, uh, that would have been three touchdowns, and I think a punt was in there. Let me pull up my drive chart. Yeah, three touchdowns and a punt. Uh, I think they were averaging like a little over eight yards of play. And that's if you take the first three drives and the last drive, the last sustained drive where it ended with the C.J. Baxter touchdown. But if you go those drives in the middle, which if you exclude the the sack Quinn Ewers took late in the second quarter on a half that was the only play you got before halftime, if you take the other five drives, they were averaging less than three and a half a play. Like that's not that's not we had uh you know we slowed down a little bit. That's uh, you went from driving a Ferrari 120 down the interstate to you knocked the engine out of that Ferrari and we're pushing the damn thing on the onto the off ramp. Like it's it's night and day how different that is. Yeah. No, I I I, I thought it was interesting that Sark once again admitted that the team a team defensively presented them with a look that they hadn't shown on the film. All right, so that's. U of H, Oklahoma did this well. Remember, we heard from mm-hmm. Jonathan Brooks saying, yeah, Oklahoma gave us a different look early. That's why they struggled. Um, Stark admitted after the third game that two of their first three opponents also did the same thing. He didn't say which teams, but we hypothesized it was Rice and Wyoming and not Alabama, which mm-hmm. they've been preparing for for a month, months, years, whatever, <laughs> for a really long time. And um, this was different because – I, Doug Belk and Dana Hoekson also admitted that they changed the entire structure of the defense. They went with the three, three, the three, three, five. Uh, they went with the three high actually. Yep. So it was actually more of a three, five, three, <laughs> uh, the way they, the way they structured it. And they played a lot of the three high defense against Texas and Sark started fast though. That was the weird thing. Usually the, the other three games, Oklahoma, Rice, Wyoming, when a team presented Quinn and Sark with something they hadn't prepared for and hadn't seen on film, they start slow. And then they have their adjustments. And then we see Texas kind of pull away in the second half and in the fourth quarter. In this game, it was a little different. They started fast, got a 21-point lead. And by the time the script was done, I mean, Sark, it, whether you know he, it was a three – Three high, that was the adjustment. But they came out, guys, and I watched it. They were running that three high defense on the very first drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Sark's script actually matched up really well with what U of H was doing. And then they started taking away 
A.D. Mitchell and Xavier Worthy. And their plan became to bracket those two guys, take those two guys away, and then take away anything over the top. And that stalled the offense because Texas should have been able to run the ball at that point, but they couldn't run the ball at that point. Yeah. And that's why the three high defense, which is a, a you know, the truth that tells a lie, it allows defenses to sling run fits just because you only have, you know, five guys in the box doesn't mean they're just five guys in the run fit because yep. the three high will bring defenders from different angles, leveraging the football in the run game and the run fits and Texas run game hasn't really accounted for that. Um, but one thing I thought was interesting and something I've been talking about for a long time, I do believe the Sark, Sark's antidote for the three high was his six O line package. Mm-hmm. Something he had been working on for a while. And last season, I went back and looked at my notes, the 6-0 line package versus teams that majored and minored in a three high in 2022 was averaging over six and a half yards per rush. In this game, the first two touchdowns for Texas were actually out of the 6-0 line package. They go look at the throw to Xavier Wardy, mm-hmm. the throw to A.D. Mitchell out of the 6-0 line package. As a matter of fact, in the first half, Texas was averaging – um, hell, they were averaging actually almost nine, uh, almost nine yards per play out of their yeah. 6-0 line package. The Big Eleven, Big Twelve. This is in the first half of the game. It's not even counting the Red Cat, which they have a they have a 6-0 line Malik Abu out there, but not counting that. And they were at, they were averaging over 17 yards per attempt. Their two touchdowns, like I just told you, were out of the 6-0 line package. So I don't know if Sark because it came out in 12 personnel. So I don't know if Sark saw the three high early in the game and said to himself, Oh, my antidote is the six O line package. Then went to it and had success and maybe saw enough of it. Oh, and, and, and didn't do it in the second half. In the second half, he only runs two, two rush plays out of it. That's it. Yeah. And he does it now that maybe that because Quinn got hurt and he didn't have yeah. the, the balance of the passing game. Cause he likes deep vertical shots out of that that uh, 6-0 line package because he's got more guys in the block and they, they get, obviously he can use the play action and he can do some of his old school traditional play action back to the football type stuff and the quarterback has time to recalibrate, gather himself and throw it downfield and if you don't match Texas damn near 2,000 pounds of man mass all right, in that 6-0 line package with, with your own you know, uh, rush defense prioritizing that if you don't, Texas is going to run the ball down your throat. If you do, that'll give Texas favorable matchups on the outside with their receivers like A.D. Mitchell, X-Man, and J.T. Sanders. So I think Stark knows this, and and he and I think that was part of his plan. I have no idea why he stopped using it in the second half. That'll be something Stark's got to, you know, I, I think he didn't want to show it off enough, honestly. I think yeah. he wanted to show that it worked versus the three high, but he didn't want to show people that it was his remedy to the three high. Or maybe when Quinn was out, like I said, he didn't have the balance of the passing element with it. So he decided to hell with it. I'm just going to pull it and I'll just finish the game running 12 personnel and running the football, which they did. But last year, that was the remedy to the, and I don't, I don't know if Sark found it, but I found it in my notes. I think Sark found it maybe in the offseason, brought in Paul Chris, who also likes extra offensive linemen note package because the three high, which is built on confusing, distorting the pre-snap read for quarterbacks so that their RPO reads are off and they don't know who has the numbers advantage in the box and when to throw it and when not to. It, it, it uses deception to deceive and 
to confuse, discombobulate quarterbacks. Well, when you run an extreme personnel grouping, all right, or extreme formations, three-by-one sets, empty formations, you force the three high defense to reveal itself. It must because alignment mm-hmm. assignment is top priority for any defender. So when you go extreme, like six alignment in the box, that you can't be trying to come down late to run fit or <laughs> when you've got an extra alignment in there, those safeties mm-hmm. will use They'll start walking down early and go, I got to get to my run fit right now because what if an offensive lineman gets to the second level and then I just get bullied and I don't have any leverage? So basically the extreme, the more extreme you can be offensively, you force the three high to abandon their distortion, abandon their deception, and then they have to show their hand. They have to show what coverage they're in. They have to show what technique they're playing. And ultimately, that's what the three high does with Will. It hides all that. So you never really know until post-snap what coverage they're in, what front they're in. But the extreme, like the extreme formations, extreme personnel groupings will force them to reveal that. Sark, I believe, knows this. Empty formation works the same way last season. Empty formation versus three high. You're talking about over 50% first down touchdown rates. And with Texas out of empty formation versus the three high. So in those ways, I think that's what started. I think he knows that. And maybe he didn't want to reveal that too early before he goes on this, this uh, baton death march of K-State, Iowa State, TCU, all teams that specialize, prioritize, and major. Their DNA defensively is the three high defense, which has been the kryptonite for Steve Sarkeesian. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and Rod, you're pointing it out right there about the second half. It aligns almost perfectly with, well, first of all, when you look at, say, Malik Murphy being in the game later in the game, like you maybe haven't had as many reps or the plays that, because we've heard Sark talk a lot about the plays that each quarterback is familiar, you know, most confident in, maybe that jumbo pack or the 6-0 line package is one that he hasn't repped or hasn't been as confident in. And then, though, it really aligns with when I think Quinn got hurt. If you go back and watch that last sack, the very last play of the first half, whenever he's dropping to throw the ball downfield, like it's looking as if it ain't no pattern you're throwing while injured. And then he goes down and gets hit between two different DB or two different rushers. He sort of gets laid onto the ground on his side between is both shoulders and a second defender comes in and hits him. And you can see, I mean, Quinn comes up, his shoulder pads are all jacked up. He's with his head down and he's limping a little towards the sideline. Like whenever that happened, I was like, man, Quinn, that, that was a hell of a hit. I hope he's all right. And then he came out to start the second half and I didn't think anything of it again. But then when you talk about how much the game plan also changed and certain things quit happening. And then we heard Sark talk about and admit that, yeah, he got hurt earlier and then tried to play through it. And then you have Malik come in and you didn't have those plays to be deployed. It just sort of stood out to me that, yeah, that reconfirmed sort of what my thought initially was but I had no evidence of it but if also the way that they called the game change then makes me just think even more so that that's a play you got hurt on uh real, real quick guys the, the only other call that I really had and look man you can pick a part of coach's calls and I, I thought there were some some good things that Sart did Rod to your point I thought you know that last drive of the game where it was Jonathan Brooks he had four carries for 30 yards they went back to start hitting like some off tackle runs and, and just runs kind of tight off maybe like the the guards a little bit into where it could bounce out, uh, some zone stuff. 
uh it was just quick hitting runs which against that against that three high man your your runs have to hit really quick because if they don't you're gonna give them time to fit it and then you're in trouble we've talked about that a lot yeah the 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 call that i really had a problem with though matt you referenced the second half uh texas had actually their first drive of the half so u of h gets the ball to start the second half they go down score a touchdown it's a tie game at that point uh texas has a fourth and short they run kind of the double, like a double slant to rub to rub the the DBs, and then they're going. They run Andy Mitchell, and but they ran them on a, like a wheel route, and I'm like, it, so, if it's, it was like fourth and two, I'm like, if you just if you just throw it to the flat where he's coming off the double slant, it's a first down, and the drive's going. I don't know, I yep. just didn't understand that. I agree. It's like you overthought the- yourself, you know. Yep, no, I saw that. Matter of fact, I'm going to text you guys. I saw it. I took a picture of it on my rewatch and went, why the hell didn't we just throw it? I'm going to send it to you guys right now. <laughs> no, seriously. That's spot on. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's yeah. almost something that it sounds like a coach like had a – oh, this, you know, all week we scouted this. This is going to work. And instead of actually looking at what we need here and not being so dug into, say, your priors coming into the game. As long no, as – look- as- Look at the picture, guys. Like AD Mitchell is wide open, past the first down oh, yeah. marker, and the quarterback is clean. Like nobody around him. You can easily just throw that to an out route and be done. And they made it. They were. I don't know why they made it so difficult. That's great because yep. sometimes Coach Steven, Coach Steven is there, and Coach Steven is influencing Sark, and Coach Steven saying, "Hey, man, wouldn't it be cooler?" If it was a wheel route, everybody would call you a genius. Hey, man. Any, Big play touchdown, baby. He's like he's like that voice talking to uh, – he's like, anybody can call just a simple rub route, man. Any scrub can do that. Hey, Sark, man, make it a wheel route, and they'll call you a genius. Like, that's how I figure Coach Steven talks to Sark. And he won that yep. time. Yeah. And your screenshot's so perfect because it actually shows how Sanders is not only he's totally cutting off the defender from the flat and the other guy's back is literally turned to AD to where it's just wide open. I, I like to, Rod, I like to pretend that uh, Coach Steven is on Sark's shoulder and he's kind of like a – it's almost like if just Brandon Staley was was Coach Steven's like, yeah, man, fake the field goal. So many guys have stones. Go for it all right here. Exactly. Y'all ever seen y'all ever seen a uh, bird man? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. With Michael Gene? Oh yeah. He's got like an he's got somebody that uh kind of his alter ego persona that follows him around. That's kind of what I see. I, I think it is. I think Coach Steven, he still haunts Sark. We're getting more Sark this year than we've ever gotten. Probably 80% Sark. But every now and then we see Coach Steven, and that was definitely fourth and two. That was in a wheel route called on a wide open rub route. If you take it, that was a Coach Steven move. The fake field goal. That was Coach Steven. That Coach, was Coach Steven. Coach Steven is somewhere between like Brandon Staley and like Tyrone Biggums. Like just throw, throw the bomb, baby. You know you want to. <laughs> you know you want yep. to. Meatball, baby. The uh, people gonna love it. But uh, you know, I like uh, I like the six old line package just for the fact that you can keep an extra blocker in, and you're not wasting like somebody that could be running a route. So it, it serves its purpose. But like if the the sack where Quinn got hurt, you realize they gave up a sack on a seven man protection. Like that's the kind of stuff that just if I'm an offensive line coach or an offensive coordinator, like that would. It would infuriate me to no end for two reasons. One, how the hell could you guys not block four with seven? And two, 
why did I do something stupid like call a seven-man protection when I could have got Jatavius Sanders and Gunnar Helm out in routes and helped my quarterback dump the ball off before he got driven into the turf? Yeah, um, and, and Sark was very cryptic. Did you guys hear his response when he was asked, hey, can you tell us exactly? And, and by the way, I, I've always complimented how forthcoming and honest Sark is, and I appreciate that because it makes our job easier and more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was very cryptic when he was asked, hey, what mm-hmm. play can you tell us exactly what play, you know, what down, whatever? And he did not. He said, That's, That's your job. That's y'all's job to figure out. And I think, I think you're right. I think it was that Caesar sack. Mm-hmm. Um, it, right. I think that was it in the, what was that, in the third quarter? Yeah. I think that's what well, it look back, look back at the one, at least look back at the one to end the half and let me know what you think. Cause I think it might have happened then too. It could have. It could have been that one too. Um, and he said he played through it. So we know he played through it. That's what we know. We yeah. know whatever it was, he played through it. And I, I think Sark just didn't want to throw players under the bus. He knows if he says what play, we're going to examine what player missed a block or missed an assignment. Uh, also, when the scouts ask Quinn, when he decides to declare for the NFL draft, you know, what play he got hurt on, because they're going to want to know that too, considering that play he had where he scrambles and, runs into the U of H defender trying to get <laughs> uh, they're going to ask. And I think maybe Sarks doesn't want to dictate what the story would be. He's going to let Quinn and his people decide to yeah. tell them whatever they want to tell them truth, whatever. Um, and I think Sarks just wants to leave it open because he doesn't want to throw a player under the bus either way. It's like, no, no, no that's their stuff that ain't, I'm just, you know, I'm not yeah. going to give you guys that. Cause you guys are going to, you guys are going to run in the wrong direction with it. Agreed fully because, like, Quinn's just out there playing. I just – I give him all the credit in the world. And, yeah, you don't want your quarterback to, say, injure himself by lowering a shoulder. But I thought he was going to get the first down when he tucked it down and run, and then, boom, there was a wall there. Well, here's the thing. Like, David Aguayo was 250 pounds. And I can understand people like, well, he didn't get hurt on that hit. He didn't get hurt on that hit. I'm like, yeah, but that damn sure didn't help his situation. Exactly. No, <laughs> you know it added to it. Yeah. No, no, no. But this is the thing. If I'm an NFL scout and he took that hit, I need to know if he took a hit, if he got hurt before that. Do I know why? Because yeah, I admire his moxie and testicular fortitude, but that's a bad decision. Dumb runner. Yep. And the quarterback position is about making good decisions. So if you were already hurt, and I know he's like, oh man, that shows that you are, you know, you got a lot of testicular fortitude. Great, but. If I'm gonna make you a franchise quarterback, I gotta tell you, I'm I'm not paying you for the testicular fortitude. I'm paying you to make good decisions. Yeah, yeah, that's a Josh about, Allen about call. Your body about your body, about this team, about that ball, about the receivers, about everything. Decision after decision, more good than bad. And if you were already hurt from a sack earlier in the game and you did that, I will applaud you. Like I said, I applaud the gall. I applaud the grit. You got some. You got some scones, brother. But Man, I, you're French. You're supposed to be my franchise quarterback. I I can't have you in a game already getting getting hurt in the game, and we're trying to yeah. play through it, and then you deciding to go, you know, what I mean? go yeah. to you know, you want to run over a linebacker all of a sudden because you want to relive some dream from your youth football days. Like, nah, man, we're playing big boy football here. Those guys are out to hurt you, and that's gonna hurt our organization and our team and everything. We had the yeah, I mean, we that's had the text, when we had the you text conversation. The go ahead. Hey. Runs uh, just the way Mahomes runs and understands to avoid contact compared to say a guy like Josh Allen or Anthony Richardson, which is just balls to the wall. Let's go. 
Yeah, we had the text conversation a couple weeks ago before he actually got hurt with the injury that ended his season. I'm like, we can safely put Anthony Richardson in the category of dumb runner. You called it. That was the, the exact play you got. When you texted oh. me, that was the end of the season. Oh, was that it? Was that it? Okay, yeah. I didn't realize well, that. The, was yeah, he was done that quarter, and he had already, like, hell, that dude just runs so hard that he scores touchdowns and hits the end zone and concusses himself. But, yeah, him and Josh Allen are on their own level of dudes in the NFL that run with no total reckless abandon, but they also make big plays. I mean, nice dude, but, Rod, you're uh, – your boy Shano helped draft him in Washington. RG3 may be the best example in NFL history of a dumb runner. Just not uh, a smart yeah, he runner. A, yeah, he wasn't a smart runner. No, but there are a lot of – Andrew Luck wasn't a smart runner. He went to Stanford. So <laughs> not, not an IQ thing or anything. Like, it's just some guys have a natural instinct to avoid contact uh, when they're running. And it, VY was a huge target, but somehow never got hit cleanly. Right. Yeah. There's some guys they just can't they just can't avoid it. And some guys they don't. They've been and I think that's kind of naturally ingrained. I think it's programming from your youth football days. Um, some guys like the contact. Like Andrew Luck used to say, I I don't <laughs> feel like I'm actually in a game until I get hit. And it's like you're a quarterback, dude. I need you to avoid getting hit. And then yeah. later on, he's like he felt like, you know, know what? I don't like getting hit anymore. Matter of fact, I'm gonna retire. So I think <laughs> at the quarterback position specifically. You you want a guy that like wants to avoid contact, man. Get no slide. Get the hell out. There are, there are rules now in place to protect you. Why mm. would you put yourself in harm's way when the rules are designed specifically to protect your position? We talk about that with Sam all the time. Remember, like, yeah. oh, it was cool when he started out when he was bowling over linebackers. It's not cool when you have to miss a couple ball games because you got a shoulder injury. Sam learned. Sam learned. Yeah, he, did. he did. He did learn. That's why was it twenty? What season did he play? The basically the whole season twenty nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, anytime I I see a quarterback running and do stuff like that, I feel like Kevin Hart back in that old stand up special. Where he was talking about his dad. Like you gonna learn today. Yep. You gonna you gonna <laughs> learn today. You gonna learn today. Exactly. <laughs> Unless you're Josh Allen, because then we'll just hear about it every single Monday until like the end of the season. So we, we got a couple minutes before we wrap up, but I, I do want to get to this. Uh, by the way, Rod, you, do you have to go or you got a couple minutes? No, I got a couple minutes. We'll okay, all right. So let's talk real quick about the BYU game just from the standpoint of, of the quarterback position. And it, it's it's going to be Malik Murphy. Arch Manning is going to get be prepared to play. Uh, our, and it's kind of where I want to – it was twofold. Rod, I know you talk to people in the league. You're, you've got sources in the NFL. What do you feel like the future is for Quinn Ewers? Not just, you know, whenever he's going to get back, but – at this point, does the injury does that pretty much mean he needs to come back for another year, or is that not going to factor into it? Mm. That's a great question. I was talking about that uh, with somebody just uh, yesterday because I think this kind of screws up Sark's plan. I think Sark wanted, you know, Quinn to play well and ultimately um, Quinn to, you know, uh, go to the NFL, go to the first round. I think obviously that would be the the goal for Quinn mm-hmm. and then have a healthy competition between Malik and Arch. And then I think the hope was that probably Arch would win, even though celebrity quarterbacks don't come to school to sit. Right. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he wants to have a competition. I don't know if he thought it through other than that, that he just wants these guys, him and Malik and Arch, to have an open competition. Now that's changed because Malik's got an opportunity to to shine. Yeah. And if he if he shines and looks really, really good, 
Sark's going to have a problem on his hands, not with Quinn, because Quinn's going to come back and be the starter. He'll have a problem on his hands um, when he wants to open it up to a straight-up competition in the offseason because there'll be the, the, the arch crowd, then there'll be the Malik crowd. Yeah. And then you'll have kind of that quarterback controversy developing on hands you don't want. What you wanted was both of them to start kind of on an even plane. Yeah. And then, you know, each, each, neither side would have – any merit to their uh, to their argument that oh no it's got to be yours no it's got to be Malik in the offseason. but now if Malik goes out there and balls out which he could you're gonna have a lot of people saying man Malik he's already shown us he can do this he can do this and if Arch wins the quarterback competition or their you know their quarterback competition is close you're gonna have a quarterback controversy on your hands it's also the, the other room yeah. too because the locker room will already have guys if he plays really well. In a couple of games ago, man, that's my guy. We we mm-hmm. won with Malik. Malik's balled out, went out there. We've seen him. We've done it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a Malik guy, and you don't want that. So I think I think ultimately this is not the way Sark wants to play out. Now, hell, man, since 1999, it's only been what like six times a Texas starting quarterback has played, started every snap, and finished every snap in one season. So he should have assumed that at one point you got to you got to play your backup. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still just not ideal for Sark because he's going to have to deal with way more quarterback controversy talk probably than he wanted to in the future, not this season, right? in the right. future. That's for another discussion, though. It also works. The other side of that coin works too, Rod, in terms of messing up the plan because if if this turns into the Jonathan Brooks show because Malik has to be a caretaker – and then you go into 2024 having an open competition for backup quarterback, and you say, wait a minute, like we watched Malik and and at least we know what he is, and it wasn't good. You you gotta go with Arch. That's true. So You're e- right. Either way, <laughs> either way, it's a lose-lose in the court of public opinion. So do you play yeah, Arch? but he could do you play both in this game? That's the question. Do you play mm. are we gonna see both in the BYU game? I think it all just comes down to like, well, if in practice, like if they really are neck and neck and there's not something that's deciphering one well above the other, then probably. But I think, I mean, Texas still looking at championship. If you win out, you're fine. So I think it's just going to be literally a meritocracy. Whoever's going to be most deserving is going to get out there. And if we see both, it might be because the first one struggled. Well, why not? Let's why not? Let's just talk to somebody and get the opinion of somebody who was in the locker room for the greatest Texas quarterback controversy of our times. Rod, um, Matt did the thing in two thousand where, like, and granted, this is different, right? Because both of these guys are inexperienced. Like, yeah, Chris yeah. Sims and and Arch Manning, you can make some comparisons there, but like Major was already established. Um, yeah. Mac did the thing where one would start and the other would get the third series. And I, if I just, I would prefer not to do that or at least have it be that rigid. Cause that's a slippery slope. And I just feel like you're setting yourself up for failure when you do that. There's no good way to do it. But no. if I'm Sark, I, at the first sign that, and, and look, maybe we don't see arch in, in, in this game. And maybe we don't see him. Uh, in, in the case they came either, maybe we wait until, uh, you know, you pass that threshold because he could technically play in the bowl game and that wouldn't impact uh, his eligibility because you've got that waiver now where you can play. If you played four, you can still play in the bowl game and it doesn't count as one of your four. Um, 
I, I just want, and you've also got to think about, okay, what if you're in the Big 12 championship game? I just wonder if Sark just gets through this week and figures, okay, either Quinn will be back for the Big 12 championship game and we won't be tempted to play Ark, so now we can go get him as four. I, I it's, I don't, so that I say all that, I don't know if you're going to see Arts this week. I, I, I don't, part of me says no. Um, yeah, I, I, I know you got to get Arts ready to play. Yeah. Um, and the reason you got to get him ready to play is because you don't know what you're going to get from Malik. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, he has high hopes from a league. And I think he's got a, a really high upside. And, you know, we know he's got the strongest arm on, on, on in that quarterback room. He's got a lot of charisma, natural leader. The guys respond really well to him. So they're going to play hard for him. But you just never know until until a quarterback gets live reps if that quarterback can operate the offense and can perform at a high level and can make. Uh, clutch plays in critical moments. You just don't know. You just don't know. Right. And if he goes out there and has a meltdown, you better have Arch ready to go. You better have him ready to go. Yeah. Or as a as a coach, you haven't done your job, Steve Sarkeesian. And right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Hundred percent. His job is to get his job is to get the dub. Now he sacrificed a win last year because there are a lot of people that thought. That when Quinn Hughes was having his worst game and a meltdown at Oklahoma State game, that you probably could have put us in card in there and maybe salvaged that and got a dub. Because we saw Oklahoma State have a they just went downward spiral after that, but he didn't. And when Sark was asked in the post game about that, he said, Nope, I needed him to go through that. I needed him to go through it, the growing pains. Yep, be you know, win be damned. That's gonna be better for him in the long term and us for long term. He's in a different situation now. He's not gonna sacrifice the the win all right for the, the development of a quarterback like he's done before yeah so if malik murphy is out there and he's having a meltdown in a, you know texas tech just lost the game to byu because they had five turnovers and a young quarterback had a meltdown in that game if that happens you cannot sit idly by you must make a move and you must make it soon yeah. and if that's the case you can't go to arch and you can't go to an, an ill-prepared arch all right you got to make sure that he's ready to roll so in case that happens, that's why I'm thinking you I'm not saying you gotta play him in the BYU game. You better make sure he's ready to go because in that BYU game, if you get a Malik Murphy performance that is subpar and it's gonna cost you a game, Lowen fans are gonna be chanting Arch in that stadium. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And when you look at the, the matchup this weekend, not only is it going to be against such a familiar opponent for Coach Sark, because you know how much it, it, it can help a team if you know who you're up against and how to scout against them. And like BYU, Jeff talked about it. Their offense isn't very good, but their defense is respectable. Like Bill Conley has a middle of the road in the country. If you look at uh, Stats of War Parker Fleming's ratings and his EPA per play, it was like, yeah, they're pretty elite against the run, that BYU defense. They're 15th in EPA per rush, but per pass, 69th. If you look at defensive success rate against the pass, 114. Their rush, 36. So you look at a bit of a funnel defense here that funnels to the pass because they're strong defending the run. And, you know, that's not – I mean, it can be good for Texas because you have a good run game, but if you're going to get stoned there, you'd like your young quarterback to have a vulnerable pass defense to go against. But conversely, he's unproven. So you don't know if he's going to be able to take advantage of it, especially when you're going up against a familiar foe that may be able to scheme up a good situation against Sark with the familiarity between the two. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And, I mean, 
if we're talking about, you know, the Quinn aspect and how it affects this year and next year, like, yeah, it may not be good for Sark's plan, but having those three back next year would be huge, even though when you look at a lot of mock drafts, like there are ones that have Quinn still in the top 10, there are ones with him in the top 20. And I mean, he's a huge arm talent, but this is a very deep quarterback draft. You're, he's not going to jump above Caleb Williams or Drake May. So you're talking about the third QB. So with NIL and things like that, it sort of aligns that you could also have a good incentivized reason to come back. Yeah, I, Rod, I, I, a hundred, first off, Rod, the, the, the plan two quarterbacks, Sark, uh, I, maybe he's done it, but not off the top of my head that I can remember in his career where he's kind of rotated guys. Is that, in your experience, is that one of, in the process of trying to serve everybody, you serve nobody kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it depends on the situation. Um, if you just don't, it depends on the, how much trust you have in the quarterbacks. You got a lot of trust in him that a quarterback will bounce back. That's what Sark, Sark had trust that Quinn would bounce back. Yeah. Right? We've seen quarterbacks struggle early and then they go down a downward spiral and take the whole team with them and then they get it and they lose the game. And then the coaching staff loses credibility in the locker room because the coaches are looking at a backup going, honestly, the backup definitely could have done better than that. Yeah. And so it's a trust factor. It's a kind of a, a cascading uh, domino effect of the lack of trust or distrust that happens. So if you trust that Quinn, and I think Sark trusted Quinn that he would bounce back in that Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State game, whether it was in game or later on in his career. And he was right because in the Oklahoma game, I, you could argue the trust that Sark had in him last season that it actually shined through. Now, you didn't win that game, but that was Quinn starting back. All right, throwing two picks early. He did not go down a downward spiral. He didn't go in quicksand. He actually bounced back with one of his best three quarters of football we've ever seen him play. So yeah. you could argue that's his quarterback, his, his his development as a quarterback. I'm not a quarterback guru like Sark, but to me, that's why you trust a young quarterback in that situation. In this situation, though, I think it's, it's almost like the World Series Game 7. Everybody's yep. got a quick hook. Everybody's got a quick hook in this game, man. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. I'm sorry you got to be a part of this, Malik. But if you start out and you throw three picks, you two, three picks, you got, I'm, I'm pulling you. You don't get the Quinn treatment. Right? Yeah. I got to go grab and try to win the damn game. That's just the way it is. I don't think that'll happen to Malik because I think Sark is going to put him in real advantageous positions by running the football a ton. Yeah. I, uh, we had our staff roundtable at Horns 24 7 this week up on the site. And it was basically like, if you were, the question was, if you were Sark, how would you handle the quarterback position? And my my thinking was you have to start Malik, like I, I just almost by default, right? But I'm not so much ready to just, just run your offense with Malik Murphy. I really hope this brings out the best in Sark to where, man, we see a little more imagination with Savion Red and, and that Wildcat package. We see uh, some more diversity in the run game, a more dynamic run game. We see him do some different things and, and you you know, utilize a guy like Jordan Whittington. Hell, if Jatavian Sanders, assuming he's healthy enough, man, go back to making him more of a focal point of your offense. There's nothing that could help a young quarterback out better than a really good, reliable tight end. And with Brock Bowers on the shelf, you probably have the best one in the country right now. So I, that's my hope is, you know, yeah, you hope Malik balls out and whoever's in there. I think Texas fans should be on the side of that guy, but my hope is that this does bring out that we see the best of Sark, kind of like we did different situation, but kind of like we did the end of 2021, that K-State game where Sark really had to be at his best to figure out how the hell are we going to move the ball when 
you know, 72 hours out, I don't have a healthy quarterback. We saw some really good stuff from Sarka. That's kind of what I hope happens against BYU Saturday. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think, it, it, obviously, Sark's got to get creative uh, and try to give his team an advantage. But I also think he's he's smart about building the offense around the strengths of his quarterback. So I think, you know, a few things that will open up the offense, I think you'll get the deep ball. Um, you know, Sark Jones is for the deep ball. That wasn't part of Quinn's strength as a quarterback. He could do it, but his strength is more the, is the intermediate game and being really short, uh, really being – accurate in in those short intermediate throws and the touch that he can put on the off platform ways that he can throw them but with Malik he has such a cannon I wouldn't doubt the deep ball comes back into play teams are going to load the box to stop Jonathan Brooks why wouldn't you mm-hmm. force the young quarterback to beat you and and Sark may bring back the, some of those deep shots early and often to not only back the defense up make them pay but get some confidence in his young quarterback Malik early on and one thing that usually translates without fail is the deep ball from every level of, of football. You can throw the deep ball in high school. You can throw the deep ball in college. It's just the same. It's more, you know, I mean, that that technique of throwing the deep ball, that's something that usually translates. What's usually tougher for young quarterbacks is throwing the intermediate area of the field. Right. Um, and that's probably where Stark will try to stay away from that area. You'll probably see short and deep shots in that game most of the time. Or the RPO, heavy RPOs, which – essentially can allow him to isolate defenders in matchup manipulation. By the way, BYU defensive yep. success rate 114th against the pass. Dang. Yep. Uh, not very good. And also another person, I expect to see a Xavier Worthy deep ball. He's been really good in his career throwing. He drew the penalty against Alabama. He threw a TD pass last year of 33 yards. He hit against Baylor and we've seen it dialed up a few times you have a perfect NFL passer rating as a quarterback well I'll, I'll say this in closing man I, I've been jonesing for a Keelan Robinson run game package I hope we get it this week if, if, if it ain't gonna be this week where we see it I don't know when the hell Keelan Robinson's gonna do anything other than just return kickoffs. so uh, I sure would like to see them make use of that speed so not that I'm gonna go on like another DJ Monroe rant, but you know, just just keep that, just keep that in the back of your mind. Just a little, a little Keelan Robinson never hurt anybody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we got to shut it down. We're uh, way over time, but uh, Matt Rod, thank you guys for uh, hanging out and yeah, the extended cut this week of uh, of the Longhorn Blitz podcast. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome, Rod. We appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports at Horns 24-7, where you can get Longhorn Blitz each and every Wednesday morning when it drops. Just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button when you find the feed. Get every episode of the Blitz. 
when it drops. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.